A number of years ago, on a family vacation, we drove a notorious road in Utah called Highway 12. It is a long, winding, narrow, two-lane road through the middle of nowhere. Some of it is very desolate. Some of it's beautiful. Some of the views are stunning. And much of it is very challenging to drive. For example, there's a section of this highway that's called the Hog's Back. And here's what it looks like from the air. Could I have the first slide, please? Now, that picture only gives a rough idea of what it's like to actually drive the Hog's Back. When you are on that road, you feel like you're on the rim of the world, with the world falling away on either side of you. We get a little bit better sense of that in this next picture. Notice how curvy that road is. There's no shoulders to speak of. No guardrails. If you don't pay attention, if you lose control, you're over the cliff. And in many places, it's a long way down. Now this morning, I want to use the hog's back to illustrate an important principle about prayer. You see, when it comes to prayer, there are two very common cliffs that we face. And if we fall off one of those cliffs, it dramatically hinders our prayers. We find those cliffs described in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And we want to understand them so we can learn how to avoid them. Let's take a look. James writes and he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Here's the key part. Listen. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures." Now, the author of this passage is James, the brother of Jesus, and he was a leader in the early church, and he wrote this letter to encourage Christians in the life of faith. And in those first, excuse me, those verses that we just read, James is addressing the problem of conflict between believers, and he identifies the root problem of conflict as coveting. And we might describe that as greedy selfishness or even lust. When we lust after people or we lust after things, reason tends to go out the window. And the desire to get along is superseded by our desire to have. And then we find ourselves in conflict with other people. Now this same self-centeredness can play havoc with our prayers. And that's where we want to focus our attention this morning because James identifies two extremes that I call cliffs. These cliffs stand on either side of a healthy life of prayer. And we can prevent ourselves from falling off these cliffs by offering balanced prayers, balanced prayers that keep us on the road so that we approach God in appropriate ways. And what are these two cliffs? According to verses 2 and 3, one cliff is the problem of silence. We don't pray. We don't ask God for help. 
The other cliff is the problem of wrong motives. And that's where we offer selfish prayers. And as we explore these two challenges to effective prayer, we can visualize them this way. If I could have the next slide, please. Cliff number one is the problem of not asking. And we fall off that cliff when we're disconnected from God and not inviting Him into our lives. And so we can't answer our prayers because we're not even praying. Now, for believers in Jesus, we need to ask, why would we make the choice not to pray? Well, I believe that often it's because of an unhealthy sense of self-sufficiency. It's like we saw last week when the disciples were arguing among themselves about who was the greatest. If we're great, we don't rely on God. And if we don't rely on God, then we don't ask Him for what we need. Now, even if we don't walk around thinking that we're great, the fact is choosing to rely on ourselves instead of on God is a form of pride. We avoid praying because we forget that we are children, spiritual children, children who need the comfort and the wisdom and the protection of our loving Heavenly Father. Now, that's not the only reason we may avoid God. Sometimes we don't ask because we don't feel worthy. We somehow feel that our concerns just don't matter to God. So we don't pray. Yet the entire message of Scripture is that we do matter. And throughout his life, Jesus regularly urged his disciples to pray. He wanted his followers to pray regularly and consistently and fervently. He even said in the Sermon on the Mount that God the Father takes care of the needs of the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. And if he's going to do that, how much more will he take care of you? God says, we matter, and our needs matter, so he wants us to ask. And in a moment, we're going to look at some biblical examples that demonstrate the great value of asking. But when I think of this particular cliff, this problem of silence, of not praying, it seems to me that every reason for not praying has to do with putting too much focus on ourselves and not enough focus on God. And so when you you and I make the choice then to pay more attention to God in the ins and outs and ups and downs of each day, I believe it will become much more natural to pray far more often. We don't want to fall off the cliff of not asking. But that's just one of the dangers that we face. As James points out, there's another cliff on the other side of the road. Because when we do pray, we need to approach God with right motives or we fall off cliff number two, which is the problem of selfish asking. Can I have the next slide, please? You see, James tells us that sometimes we don't get what we ask for because our motives are selfish. These are prayers where we ask God to indulge our wants rather than simply ask Him to meet our needs. And I think, in essence, these are prayers where we make demands of God. I remember once 
being involved in a time of prayer at another church. There was a prayer huddle that I happened to join, and one of the men in that prayer huddle was a leader in the church, and he had just learned that the engine on his car was, was completely out of commission, and he was going to need a new vehicle. And so he offered a prayer that went something like this. Heavenly Father, I really need a newer, more reliable car. I've had such problems with the used cars that I've typically owned, so I ask that you would help me find a brand new car. Now, I know I can't afford it, but the Bible says that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. So I know you can give me a new car if you want. And, and Father, you know that it's so important in my line of work to make a good impression on my clients, so a really nice car would be even better. In fact, a BMW would be great. <laughs> and in the Bible, you promise to meet our needs. And that's what I need to be successful. So I ask you to meet this need in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you might think I'm making this up, but I'm not. Admittedly, it's an extreme example. And you and I might not be so blatant in our own prayers, but it can be really tempting to do what that man did. We can take our selfish wants, we can rationalize them as needs, we can wrap them up in some scripture references to, to make them sound spiritual, and then we ask God to meet those self-identified needs. James wants us to avoid falling off that cliff, the cliff of selfish praying so that we do not make inappropriate demands of God. So what's the answer? We stay on the road by offering balanced prayers that avoid those two extremes. Next slide, please. So we avoid the cliff on the left by making the choice to pray. We don't stay silent. We ask God for what we need. And we avoid the cliff on the right by refusing to make selfish demands. So we don't ask God to indulge our wants. And we accept his answers. And we follow where he leads. We ask and we even ask boldly, but we do so in a spirit of submission because we trust that the Heavenly Father always knows what is best for us. Now that's the principle based on the wisdom of James. But what does a balanced prayer actually look like? Well, we have plenty of examples in the Bible to show us how to avoid these cliffs, and we're going to look at two such examples. The first one comes from Jesus himself, and we find it in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 to 36. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Just, just imagine this sense of emotional anguish that Jesus has right now. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. What a term of endearment. Abba, Father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will 
but what you will. This scene takes place on the final night of Jesus' life. And Jesus, when he walked the earth, was God in the flesh. That means he knows the future. He knows that the very next day he is going to be crucified. And yet, he's not just God. He's a man. He's fully human. And in his humanity, he does not want to experience the shame and pain and humiliation of the cross. So what does Jesus do as he faces certain death the next day? He prays. He prays that the plan of God, a plan which he helped to create, he prays that that plan somehow, someway might be changed. He cries out to the Father from those depths of emotion with a prayer that is so very human and yet it's so very, very balanced. It's a prayer that stays in the center of the road and it avoids the cliffs. First, he avoids the cliff of silence. Since he already knows the plan, he could make the choice not to pray. He could choose not to ask. And yet he asks if there somehow might be another way because he desperately wants his circumstances to change. He does not hesitate to ask. Yet even as he asks, he avoids falling off that other cliff because he does not pray selfishly and make demands of the Father. He simply makes his wishes known. And then he submits to the Father's will. And why does he do that? Because he knows that the way of the Father is best, even if that way is filled with pain. So Jesus asks He asks boldly, and then he submits. And here's the point that we really need to get. What happens as a result of this prayer? He does not get what he asks for. His circumstances do not change. But this time of prayer is of incredible value. Because it helps him accept what lies ahead. And as we read farther ahead in the book of Mark and see the rest of the story unfold, during that next day as Jesus faces humiliation, as he faces beatings, as he is nailed to a cross, he handles all of this with an incredible sense of calm and serenity. And that's because he's prepared. And he's prepared because he prayed. That same thing can happen to you and to me. Sometimes when we pray, the Father may say, as he essentially does here to Jesus, I'm not going to change your circumstances. I will, though, prepare you for what comes next. And sometimes that's the answer to our prayers. And then there are other times when we pray and our circumstances do change. And we see that in the example of a man afflicted with leprosy. A man who approaches Jesus for help, and that story is recorded for us in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Consider the words of that prayer. We'll talk more about that in a second. 
Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. If you know anything about leprosy, you know it's a horrible, horrible condition. People afflicted with leprosy find that the pain centers of their body are destroyed. And so they basically become numb. And as a result, as they go through life, they'll burn themselves and not even feel it. They'll cut themselves and not even feel it. All the bumps and bruises and scrapes and and damage that you and I do to ourselves, we know about it because it hurts. It doesn't hurt when you're a leper. And so over time, if you have leprosy, you essentially destroy your own body. The diagnosis of leprosy was a long, slow death sentence. But leprosy didn't just ruin your body. It ruined your life because you were shunned by the community. The law required you to live apart from other people so that you wouldn't infect them, which means you had to face this horrible situation without the support of family or friends. The only friends you had were other people with leprosy. And then, as an isolated leper, you never could participate in the sacrifices for forgiveness or other aspects of spiritual life. So you were spiritually unclean. That's the experience of this man who approaches Jesus. That's his life. He is physically sick. He is socially isolated and spiritually separated from God. Is it any wonder that he wants to be set free? And is it any wonder why Jesus always had such great compassion for people afflicted with leprosy? When we understand the reality of this situation, it helps us understand the reaction of Jesus as recorded here in verse 41. It says, he was indignant. Now, the wording in the original Greek text is a little bit vague and ambiguous, so different Bible versions give us different translations. Your translation may say that Jesus was filled with pity, or he was filled with compassion, or it might even say he was filled with anger. And all of those translations give us different insights into what's really taking place here. Jesus has one set of emotions, such as pity and compassion toward the man. And he has another set of emotions, such as anger and indignation toward his condition. He hates the fact that this man is being slowly disfigured. He's indignant about his disenfranchisement from society. He pities what this man may feel as he slowly destroys his own body. And so Jesus responds with compassion and he heals him. He gives him a life back. What a great gift! What we really need to see, though, is how this man prays. He has a legitimate need, a desperate need, and yet he offers an amazingly balanced prayer that avoids the cliffs. Remember, this is a man who's been marginalized. He's been disenfranchised and labeled unclean by his society. He's been told to stay away from people. Most rabbis never would let a leper get anywhere close to them. 
So this man has every reason to avoid Jesus. And he, 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 is, he faces high odds of being rejected simply for approaching Jesus. And yet he boldly comes into the presence of Christ and he makes a very specific request. He avoids the cliff of not asking. He makes his needs known. At the same time, he avoids the cliff of selfishness because he makes no demands. Now, as I think about this man's circumstances, personally, I can't think of a single reason for Jesus ever to say no to this kind of request. However, as hard as it is to accept, sometimes God has purposes in allowing some people to walk a hard road. And God does allow some people to remain sick or diseased or crippled. And I have friends in that situation. And the fact is God might have some other purpose for this man, a purpose that we don't know or cannot see. And this man afflicted with leprosy evidently understands that truth and understands that truth and it comes through in the way he prays. If you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It is a great prayer of faith because he expresses complete confidence that Jesus can heal him, yet he does not presume to know if Jesus will heal him. He submits to the will of Jesus as he makes his request. It's a healthy, balanced prayer. It's a great example for us. Now, it really makes me sad because there are some people in the family of God who, who teach something very different than what we find in this passage. I read a, a book by a well-known TV preacher. And he wrote these words. Never utter the faith-destroying phrase, if it is your will, because it always is God's will to heal. And when we pray, we must let God know that we expect to be healed. And I read those words, and I thought to myself, tell that to this man suffering from leprosy. Because he did use those words with Jesus. If it's your will. And he didn't expect to be healed. He didn't demand to be healed. He hoped to be healed. And his bold approach to Jesus, even with these words, it didn't destroy his faith. He had faith in Jesus. And it didn't prevent Jesus from giving this man what he asked for. Part of what we need to see is that if we demand healing from God, then we're falling off that cliff of selfish asking. This man, horribly suffering from leprosy, shows us how to ask for help when we need it and to do so in a balanced way. Next slide, please. You see, this man with leprosy did not fall off the cliff on the left because he didn't stay silent. He spoke up. He made his needs known to God boldly and plainly. But he didn't fall off the cliff on the right either, even though he had a legitimate reason to ask. And he could have even said it's legitimate to ask selfishly because I'm in a living hell. 
and he didn't do it. He affirmed what God could do, and he made no demands of God. He prayed a balanced prayer and was willing to submit to the Father and accept whatever plan God had for his life. And in this case, God gave him what he asked for. So what we see here in these Bible passages is a biblical principle and some biblical examples. And they show us how to keep our prayers properly focused. And the first and most important thing is we pray. We don't stay silent. We pray. We avoid the cliff of not asking. And we make our needs known to God. And second, we pray with the right motives. We don't make demands of God. We don't ask selfishly. And when we avoid those cliffs, we keep our prayers properly focused and we stay in the center of the road, the road that keeps us connected to God and always is, helps us move toward God. And as we pray, I hope we never forget the example that we've seen here in these two biblical stories. Because like the leper, we sometimes will get what we ask for and our circumstances will change. And the road ahead will be different. But then like Jesus, sometimes we may not get what we ask for and our circumstances won't change. And yet God will use our times of prayer to change us and to prepare us for what we will experience farther down the road. And in either case, however God may answer, prayer makes a difference. When we avoid the cliffs, our loving God will respond and something will change.